0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP.
1: Welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, getting engaged. Oh, congratulations. No, not that kind of engaged. Listen up. Attention sales reps, we're talking to you as we usually are here on Social Selling with Game Changers Radio. If you still believe that all it takes for you to have a positive social brand and a reputation is just to have a LinkedIn profile, Uh Uh-huh, you know, the bio and maybe a couple of references. Well, you are not even close. It's a beginning. It's a good start, but it's not the end-all and be-all. So building on the social listening skills we covered last week on our previous episode, you need to start engaging. There you go, getting engaged in social conversations with your prospects and your customers. But how do you do it? Well, hard sell doesn't wash anymore. It doesn't work. You've got to be targeted who are you talking to? To whom are you sending your message of engagement? You have to be relevant. You have to be caring, a.k.a. a human being, and educational. They want information they don't want to be talked down to or sold to. So we're going to cover best practices, do's and don'ts today, and their impact on not only your social brand, but the brand you're trying to sell. So we've got a double level of brands here that you have to support and sell and be successful at. That's a lot of work. So we have a panel of three experts who know what they're talking about, and we hope you will get engaged with this information. So first up on the panel, I'm delighted to welcome back, he was on a previous Game changer show, Chris Boudreau. He's the founder of the website Social Media Governance. And Chris has sent me a wonderful quote from Seth Godin as Our regular listeners know one of my favorite pundits and gurus. And here's the quote. You are a human being, and what human beings do is art, new stuff, connection. There's a big difference between being Dell and being Michael Dell. You are not a brand. You are a person. A lot of meat on the bones there. Chris Boudreaux, thanks for the great quote from Godin. How are you,
2: Chris? Very well. Thanks for having me.
1: Delighted. So talk to me. Are you a big Seth Godin fan, follower?
2: I think Seth has a lot of great ideas. Uh so I uh, you know, his his books are always interesting and thought-provoking and and he tends to say things that uh instigate good conversation. So he's he's fun to follow.
1: Mhm. Go ahead, talk to me about it. You picked a very interesting quote for our topic today. Go ahead, Chris. Tell me more. Yeah,
2: well, I, I think it's there's a couple of things. One is that it's interesting that you see individuals like salespeople talking about how they need to build their brand, and then you see brand marketers talking about how they need to humanize their brand and make it more uh, personal or personable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think both of those... Um, There's some, you know, it depends on what you mean in the details by that. What are you actually going to do? But, but I think there's a a little bit of uh, people missing the fact that being a human being allows you to establish connection with other people in ways that a company just can't to you know to build a reputation to build trust um, in ways that an organization just or professional communicators even on behalf of an organization just can't. And so, you know, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And I think. Part of that then plays out if you think, you know, part of, the, part of the role of social selling is that these days buyers get a lot more information through digital and social media before they mm-hmm. talk to a salesperson. Everybody knows that. As a salesperson, you can go out in those social media and actually go up the funnel and start to interact with people at the level that, say, marketing typically does, but you can be a lot more effective at it because you're a person, you're not just a brand. And so there's this idea of, okay, well, how can I actually go up, funnel, and be more effective and be different, be better or more effective in certain ways than maybe the brand is that's got a team of marketers cranking out content, but it's not coming out of a human being? Uh, So so those are kind of the, the directions that I start to think about around that quote.
1: I appreciate that. Uh, What's your thought, Chris, just briefly before we go to our next panelist, your thought on what Seth Godin said, there's a big difference between being Dell and being Michael Dell. Because, Chris, the reference I'm trying to make here is that I mentioned in my opening their impact, the impact of being engaged, socially engaged in the conversation, the impact on your brand, meaning your personal slash professional brand as a sales rep and the brand you sell or represent. Do they should they be two completely separate engagements of the brand, meaning the company or the product or the thing versus you as the human being sales rep? What's your quick thought on that, Chris?
2: Yeah, I think they should because ultimately your relationships with other people extend beyond where somebody may be employed at any point in time, or even just their you know their the work scope of who that person is. I mean, understanding. and and caring about people's kids and and going to their soccer games and and all these kinds of things that companies simply cannot do. And having that personal connection that's real is just impossible for a company to achieve. So if all you're doing is spouting brand produced Mm -hmm. content and expecting that you're going to, you know, connect deeply with people, I think most salespeople realize that's, that's silly. That's not, that doesn't, that isn't how selling really works, right? So I think it's, it's a little bit around just, you know, don't look at what brands do and then try to do that because you're not a brand. So the way you need to build connections is the way people build connections. And you just need to figure out how to do that in, you know, social channels. And that's, that's really the direction to go. Thank you. Good. Thank
1: you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. We're going to build on that with our other panelists. And let's move now to our second person on the panel. He is Casey Ryan, Senior Communications and Training Specialist for SAP's Partner Service Delivery, the PSD team. And Casey has sent me a wonderful quote from George Burns, who I believe did leave to live to be 100. And those of you looking for a little trivia, George Burns was born Nathan Burnbaum, which Casey already knows because he's read a couple of Burns' books. He was an American comedian, actor writer, TV personality, and he spanned so many years in his career. He went from vaudeville, which precedes most of the people listening to this call, to this show, vaudeville and film, radio, and TV. I think he even played G.O.D. in the movies, and he was married to the beautiful Gracie Allen, and what a love they had that spanned the ages. And here's the quote, I'd rather be a failure at something I love than a success at something I hate. Amen, George Burns. Casey Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you?
3: Uh, Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Bonnie.
1: Thank you. We're delighted. I love the quote, and you and I spoke off air. You're a big George Burns fan. So what would George Burns say, Casey Ryan, if he found out that you were quoting him on a radio series called Social Selling with Game Changers? Would he laugh? Would he cry? Would he thank you? Would he scratch his head? Would he say, tell me more?
3: What do you I think? think he would say they're still bringing that up, knowing him. <laughs> but, uh, I, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that quote, both personally and professionally, and, and it's something that I feel strongly about and has meant more to me over the years. Uh, when I graduated from college, for instance, I took a job uh, selling window coverings, uh, roller shades and blinds and things like that, and I found out very quickly that it's hard to get passionate about selling blinds and blinds. <laughs> And roller <laughs> shaves. So um, I'm very happy to be in a space right now where I'm doing something that I do feel strongly about.
1: Good. And how does this relate to getting engaged in the social conversation? What if a sales rep has been around for a long, long time and they're listening today or they're reading the tweets that Kirsten Boyleau is tweeting right now at hashtag SAP radio, and that I'm tweeting there as well. And they're saying, uh, I don't know this social thing i don't know i'm just going to go out with my brochures and i'm just going to do my mailings all right i have to use email and i don't really want to be involved in this newfangled way of selling i like the way it was done before and that's what I love. So I don't. I hate the new way, and I don't care if I'm a success at it. I'll still make the old way work. There must be some old timers out there who will let me do some real selling to them. What would they say about this quote, Casey? I know I took a long way to get there, but what do you think?
3: I, I honestly think that that uh, somebody who's had a, uh, a sales job, the last company I was with, I was with for ten years. Uh, to a certain extent, there's a risk if you're in a job for any length of time that you become too comfortable. And Mm -hmm. uh, social selling is a way to step out of your comfort zone and and really sort of exercise some muscles that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily have. Uh, The other thing I would say that as a sales rep, uh, it's really important to find something, as cliche as that may sound, to find something that you actually feel passionate about Mm -hmm. uh, because people actually speaking to you are going to be able to sense that really quickly whether you're not interested in it at all. And if you're not interested in it, then why should they give you any time?
1: Good point. I think we've already started our do's and don'ts here. Thank you very much, Casey Ryan. Pleasure to meet you. And rounding out our panel today is Reuven Gorscht. If you're looking for him, he's quite a maverick, has quite a name. He's such a name for himself. He sent us an original quote that we think is his, that he claimed is his, that we're even not sure, but now officially it is. His last name is G-O-R-S-H-T, if you're looking for Reuven. He has some interesting blogs out there. He's the Global VP of Customer Strategy at SAP. And here is the quote, an R-G original, there are no old... Roads to new places. Reuven, welcome back to Game Changers Radio. How have you been? Hey, good morning, Bonnie.
4: I've been awesome and uh, great to be here again.
1: Terrific. So tell me, if we think that, did you really hear this quote somewhere? Or did you make it up just for the show? I, I must tell have me.
4: heard it somewhere and reformulated it. So there, 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 there are no original ideas out there anymore, I believe. But. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to attribute it to me, that's fine. I, I think it's, uh, I just it's, it's been out there for a while.
1: <laughs> I just did. So we couldn't find anybody else except your name attached. So bravo to yeah. you. Now, there are no old roads to new places. How does that relate to our topic of social conversation
4: engagement, Reuben? Sure. Well, it's really simple. It's, it's, it's the notion that what got us here in terms of where we are today and what got a lot of organizations and individuals here won't necessarily get uh... to get us to where we want to go in the future and and the simple reason why is that there's just too much changing and if we're talking in the context of sales itself um, all you need to do is really kind of look at yourself and how you're behaving as a as a consumer sort of put yourself in the customer's shoes and and the fact of the matter is we we no longer really want to be sold to and as soon as we feel a sales pitch coming on or we feel you know kind of the old um, Sales uh, slogans or logos coming at us, we we automatically turn off. So from a, from consumers who are inundated with information, um, we we demand um, something different, and and that namely is uh, we demand fresh insights, teach us something new. Uh, we demand some you know people that that will educate us um, around um, not only their products or services but very specifically, how do I get you know what 's in it for me How do I get value out of this um, product or service that you're offering. And, of course, the, the gist of the conversation this morning is all about engagement. So how can you truly and genuinely be helpful rather than, um, again, trying to uh, shove a product down my throat or or, or be pushy around uh, whatever it is that you're trying to sell or, or goal you're trying to meet?
1: Thank you, Reuben. And, and going back to my question to Casey Ryan a moment ago about people who are entrenched in the sales profession, if you will, who want to do it the old way. If we took the concept in your quote, Ruben, there are no old roads to new places, and if we change that to there are no old meaning entrenched and doing it the old-fashioned way, sales reps on the way to new places being social selling, is that fair or is that a little bit too uh, exclusionary? I, I feel
4: it could be a bit of both. And uh, mm-hmm. in, the in reason is, you know, despite despite the fact that we have technology like social networks and information and, and access, the very basics, and I think uh, Chris did a great job at, at really touching on the human aspect. Uh, humans mm-hmm. um, need to connect, they need to belong, they need to be engaged in in very similar manners, right? So if, if you, you still got to have the base skills um, to to be able to connect at a human level, to be able to have a conversation, whether if it's online or offline, um, and, and really combine uh, what you have as a strong base in terms of sales skills, in terms of building building relationships and building trust. And, um, and find ways to segue that into this, these new sales models where you can effectively scale what you're doing and be able to be far more effective in terms of reaching people in different ways and engaging uh, people in, uh, in mediums that are uh, essentially part of their daily lives today. Right.
1: Thank you, Ruben. It sounded almost like you were quoting Seth Godin there. We all want to be <laughs> connected. We want to matter. We want somebody to care. We want somebody to know we are here. We want to be part of something. I think that's those are some of his early quotes. Thank you very much, Reuven. Let's circle back to Chris Boudreaux. I think you know what's coming next. Talk about being human. We want to find out a little more about the three of our panelists as human beings. So, Chris Boudreau at Social Media Governance, what are you drinking right now, a.k.a. what's in your cup today, or what are you thinking about drinking, oh, I like that rhyme, after the
2: show? Chris, talk to me. Yeah, I always have a big glass of water after I ride uh, bikes with my son to his school, and then I switch over to black iced tea, which keeps me going for the day.
1: Oh, nice, black iced tea. what That's black tea, and do you brew at home brew, or does it come out of a something prepared?
2: I wish I were that interesting. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, but you are. Uh, you you just reminded me of something. How far away is the, the school that
2: you ride on your bike with your son. It's about a mile. My son's in first grade, so he just started riding to school. Oh,
1: that's sweet. Uh, years ago, I lived in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, when we were a young family, and I used to take my son to Radcliffe Daycare. So I like to tell people my son was going to Radcliffe and Harvard when he was about three years old. <laughs> he ended up going all the way through school and law school at Yale, which is nothing nothing to, to shake a stick at. But however, I had a baby seat on the back of my bike. Chris. And I used to ride from North Cambridge to Harvard Square five days a week on my way to to school in Boston and drop my son off at Radcliffe Daycare. And then I did the return trip, took the the trolley tram, whatever we call the system in Boston, back to Harvard Square, got on the bike, put him on the baby seat and and drove him back home. And so we did a bike ride to school early too. And you just brought back some wonderful memories. So thank you very much for that. And Casey Ryan, what's in your cup today?
3: I've always been a Gatorade guy myself, so I uh, fill my thermal mug here, full of ice, and then I uh, fill it full of Gatorade and it keeps it cold all morning.
1: Very nice. Is there a flavor to Gatorade? Remind me, I don't I'm not very experienced with it. Is lots there a, of them, but
3: I usually alternate between lemon lime and fruit punch.
1: And what's your favorite of all favorites?
3: Probably lemon lime if I had to pick one.
1: All right, we made you pick one. There you go. That didn't
4: hurt. Ruben Gorsh, what are you drinking today? Today is boring water i 'm um, two coffees in, and uh, actually woke up this morning and decided to to get back on get back on the diet uh, i've been fairly successful, let myself go a little bit um, over the last couple weeks, so i 'm drinking water and of course this morning is my do- my daughter 's sixth birthday, so we 're having cupcakes for breakfast, so it 's water I think all week for me. <laughs>
1: What kind of cupcakes are they? Are they chocolate? Oh, uh, are they
4: all sorts of cupcakes uh, with uh, all sorts of uh, creamy toppings? I guess you know chocolate, vanilla, and uh, I've, I think I've tried them all.
1: Well, good for you. Mazel tov to your daughter. Six oh, is a beautiful yeah. age. I love that. We're having a party here. You're listening to Social Selling with Game Changers Radio. Very serious topic: getting engaged in the social conversation. I'm speaking today with Chris Boudreau at Social Media Governance, and we're speaking with Casey Ryan and Reuven Gorscht at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we have to do a shout-out to the sponsor and genius behind this series. She's Kirsten Boyleau, and she's tweeting right now at hashtag SAP Radio. And we're going to be right back with a lot more of the do's and don'ts of making an impact, the right kind of positive impact, on your brand as a sales rep and the brand you're trying to sell. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Social media is taking sales organizations by storm, and only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a new tool that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and building the systems to truly measure the impact of social. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Social selling with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to social selling with Game Changers.
1: And here we are, back with Chris Boudreau, Casey Ryan, and Reuven Gorst We're talking about getting engaged, dot, 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 in social conversation, as in social selling. Be a human being, connect, care, talk, make a difference in somebody's life. No hard selling. That's out the window. We're going to do a little history lesson now and kick off our roundtable with Chris Boudreau. And Chris, by the way, founded the website Social Media Governance in 2009. And in 2013, he published a book called The Most Powerful Brand on Earth. Very interesting Chris, I'm looking at your notes here. In the same year you started Social Media Governance, uh, that's our reference point here. You say in your notes, social selling today is where social marketing was in 2009, mostly reliant on the efforts of forward-thinking individuals running accounts by themselves with very little connectivity or support from their broader organization. Let's start with this history lesson. Chris Boudreau, talk to me.
2: Yeah. So, you know, around 2005, Facebook started really picking up steam. Um, Facebook apps and developers started sprouting up. And that really spread adoption of things like Facebook. Twitter came in a little later. Uh, And between then and, say, 2008 marketers, you'd you'd see a product manager that would say, oh, I'm going to go create a Twitter account for my product. And I'm going to be able to talk to my audience about this product on Twitter and if people have questions, they can ask me about it. And obviously, we know today that does not scale. If you have one product manager handling all of the Twitter interactions related to a product or a brand, I mean, like you can't even imagine that today. Uh, and those, you know, they were directly logging into Twitter. They weren't using any of that data inside of their enterprise for CRM purposes or any of that kind of thing. And so if you look at social selling now, um We're a little bit farther than that, because after 2008, people started to realize, oh, my gosh, we need to get some controls over this. This is risky for the brand. That's when social listening started to be invented, so you could actually monitor what people were saying about your brand. You could actually respond and and store some of these things. And so now we're at the point where uh, you can potentially give salespeople a platform to engage in social media. Uh, A lot of brands still don't. Um, If you're in a regulated environment, there are tools that allow salespeople to engage and and monitor for certain things like social security numbers or to to archive posts. But, um, But largely, a lot of the activity around this is still really only on protecting the brand, which is what, in say 2009, everybody was really worried about. And so, you know, that's when I started socialmediagovernance.com because everybody was focused on, oh, my gosh, we need a policy all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, you know, it was all protecting from the downside. And a lot of it is still there today where it's still all about protecting from the downside. And there's not – most companies don't have an industrialized process for identifying leads in social media, scoring those leads, passing them into the lead-nurturing platform, connecting that with CRM data, getting those marketing-qualified leads – Uh, with, by the way, you know, lead qualification data from all of their channels, not just social. So if somebody's tweeted at your brand and downloaded a white paper, you should know all of that together. Getting that information to the salesperson so that when they engage, they have all that information and so on, right? A lot of companies aren't there at all. Everybody's still talking about, you know, how do you optimize your LinkedIn profile and how do you reach out to people on your own? And so... So the evolution that's coming is if you look at how marketing has evolved, where you've got teams and workflows and data is getting connected across channels and all these kinds of things, that's where social selling will go as well, uh, I I believe.
1: Interesting. Uh, I'm not going to ask my question right now. I want to hear what Casey Ryan and Ruben Gorch have to say. Casey, thoughts on the little history lesson we just got from Chris?
3: i would be intend to agree with uh with most of it, but the only other thing that I would also add and you know just from the things that I've observed in terms of the social listening is that uh it's also a means by which to identify for a company who your allies are and who your defenders are. Uh, I've also seen cases where you know somebody has come out and said something negative about a particular brand, but, but there's been another customer out there that is thrilled with it and will come out and give a glowing mm-hmm. recommendation and, and try to downplay whatever negative feedback is out there. So uh, admittedly, that doesn't happen as often as most people would like, but but uh, I certainly see the potential there for that.
1: Interesting. Ruben, thoughts?
4: Yeah, no, I would uh, I would tend to agree with uh, with, with Chris's point um, I, I think um, I think it's still got a long way to go um, particularly from you know there's the technology side of course but then there's also the the business side and, and, and the cultural side of, of brands and, and their their willingness not only to engage but to engage in, in a more effective way right because essentially you know what you've got with social media and social selling is, is, is you've democratized all the channels of, of an organization. There used to be one phone number, one email, one contact center to call into any given brand. Um, and now there's there's a multitude of ways you can tweet at an employee, you can tweet at, 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 uh, at, at the Twitter handle of the company, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I find you know there, there's no shortage of horror stories around um, customer service disasters and so on. It, mm-hmm. And again, it's not so much about the technology. It's how these conversations are handled, how... Um, the brand goes about engaging a customer and, uh, and, and further to, to Chris's point around this whole notion of policy I think you know we've we've come a long way uh, in terms of telling uh, employees what not to do in fact you know mm-hmm. scaring scaring the living daylights out of them and most most times uh, to the point that you really don't want to participate in social media so I think it's had a bit of a detrimental effect and now it seems like we're turning the corner and finally starting to educate um, employees of, of organizations and brands in terms of what you can do and how to be more effective. So that's that's kind of, to me, that's the next chapter here, um, aside from uh, the, the, the whole technological movement and all the vera- variety of tools that give you the visibility you need uh, into your customer and their activities.
2: Yeah, Go there's ahead. another example of, of what I mean by that too, which is, you know, a lot of the conversation that companies are having today about social selling is actually not so much focused on the salesperson themselves, but on sales operations, where you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we create enough content of the right type in the right formats, because content on Twitter doesn't look like content on Facebook and doesn't look like content on LinkedIn. So, how do we create this content, get it to the salespeople in a way that they can actually use it in a way that makes sense for them personally, and do that at scale? Because most marketers are already strained with content marketing demands. Mm-hmm. Let alone now we're also going to support you know social selling, and so figuring out how to scale that up is that part of that kind of next level of maturity for an organization. Uh, beyond just, you know, how does a salesperson go out and, and use social selling on their own?
1: Thank you all. Good conversation. I have a quick question before we move on to some interesting points from Casey Ryan's notes. question for the panel is, in terms of governance, uh, Chris Boudreaux's word, or uh, adherence, maybe I'm looking for is a better word. If a, an organization has a social media policy, has their brand they want to convey. And we have all established that in order to be part of engage, being engaged in the social conversation, listening, caring, being trustworthy, being a thought leader, no hard selling, and a person is going to be their own person. Our, and Chris, I'll start with you. Our, is the organization now behooved to keep tabs on every single tweet, every single Facebook post, every single Instagram picture that an employee, a sales rep posts to make sure they are aligned with and under the governance rules of that brand, of the company's brand. How bad is it? Are we in a new era of Big Brother, Big Sister is watching every hashtag you use? Just a quick comment from you, Chris, and then I want the others to jump in. What do you think?
2: Well, the answer to that question depends. I mean, I think... Mm -hmm. The first part of the answer is, well, do you do that when they use the phone with customers? Do you do that when they go and meet with a customer? Yeah. And if the answer is absolutely not, then why would you think you need to do that for this new channel? It doesn't make sense. Now, on the other hand, highly regulated organizations, like people who sell investments, are required by law often to monitor and archive certain things. So, but But again, that's not necessarily... You know, the purpose of the monitoring is not necessarily, um, you know, paranoia about the brand. It's regulatory compliance. So, you know, it can depend a little bit depending on your industry.
3: Okay. Casey, thoughts on that? Uh, I would actually think that, that the greater risk to a lot of companies would be, you know, the worry about an employee going rogue after they were either dismissed or left the company or decided to go to work for a competitor or what have you, where there is no control. Uh, I think that, you know, if you have a control in place, then fine, they're going to be able to keep track of it. But but the greater risk to the barn is what happens after the employee leaves.
1: Hmm. Ruben, thoughts?
4: So uh, I mean I I, I think uh, uh, policy is essential, right? You gotta you gotta set uh, you gotta set the ground rules. But what's even more essential is allowing it, the employee to to essentially establish their own brand, their own rhythm, and their own identity out there. Um, and and I mean it's always kind of a running joke to see you know uh, people that are employed by certain you know company organization. That's all they all they ever do is is just you know get. Content from that organization that 's been approved and tweeted out, and it sounds like it it starts to sound like an infomercial after a while, right? Just people mm-hmm. discredit it it doesn 't get amplified it doesn 't get any engagement whatsoever so uh, aside from you know establishing uh, kind of a, a a personal brand and an online reputation and so on, I think the the important thing that we often neglect. Um, with, you know, with policies and such is the ability to also listen and then engage, to understand what your customers, what your prospects are talking about, um, understand, their, understand their needs, their desires, their personality traits, and so on, and and focus more on the engagement side versus just, you know, let me get a piece, you know, five pieces of content out there, because that's my quota, and hopefully that'll help me out. So, so it's got to, Get beyond this whole marketing amplification engine because I, I really don't think it's working uh, for a lot of organizations. And I know you know employee advocacy is all the rage and content is all the rage. So I'm going to take a bit of a different stance in terms of um, in terms of establishing kind of these individual mini brands where, where people are actually um, meaningfully engaging customers, and I think that's worth a lot more than just blasting content yeah. out there.
2: Totally. I mean, you know, Susan Emmerich and I wrote a book about employee advocacy, and I think it's a very powerful concept, but anything can be done wrong. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And and employee advocacy, frankly, is one thing that a lot of brands just push the I believe button. They launch an inexpensive tool and they just want employees to parrot something that a marketer wrote, and they get a little bit of lift out of that, but it's not, you know, it's not really what it's all about. I, I agree 100%. Interesting.
1: Yes, I I won't make any – sometimes when we have certain guests on Game Changers Radio, their companies want to control every part of the conversation in terms of exactly how the introduction to the show goes and exactly what is said about anybody. And and we just say, this is the brand we've created of conversation among thought leaders. You can't script it. You can't control it. Am I right, Reuven? It is what it is. Absolutely. We're organic. This is not parroting content. This is getting smart people like the three of you together to have a good conversation and get a lot of opinions and expertise. So I think we're, we're living part of that. Now, Casey Ryan, I'm looking at your notes here. Very interesting. Let's keep along with our theme of do's and don'ts of social listening, social conversation, social engagement. And you say, very interestingly, when you tweet is almost as important as what you tweet. I'm going to stop there and let you explain for us, Casey. Ryan, go ahead.
3: Well, I I think that Twitter, to a certain extent, specifically thrives on routine. And uh, the best example that I can give is through the use of, uh, say, my podcast that I run on Sundays, where um, I deal with a lot of creative people in the entertainment business that keep odd hours. So I know that... Based on their schedules, I'm going to have some really interesting conversations if I'm up late at night, purely because that's when they're on. So if you can get a sense or a gauge for when uh, most of your target audience is on, it fosters a, a certain degree more of engagement. Um, in the regular business community, if you will, you know, you may notice that it's first thing in the morning as people are having their first cup of coffee or listening to Game Changers. Uh, things along those lines are right before they break for lunch. So it, people get used to seeing you online at certain times a day, and it's easier for them to get a hold of you as well they get used to seeing you online
1: interesting interesting what happens when you have a a, so many followers let's say 20,000 30,000 40,000 followers how do you target whose online presence you want to get in other words when you stay up till three in the morning because certain people you want to connect with are online and you know it from wherever they are in the world uh casey what about the rest of them? Do you have to put in a 24-hour day to reach all of those targeted populations, or how do you, how do you prioritize?
3: Well, it's a, it's a question of where you want to work and, and uh, you know, the kind of people that you're looking to attract. And, and there's certainly tools within Twitter that, that allow you to make that manageable. Uh, you know, certainly the list function is uh, is an easy one to go to just to organize things. And I'm not advocating, by any stretch of the imagination, that people should be online 24 uh, seven. But but it's just a matter of who you want to target and when you want to target them.
1: Interesting, Reuven, you want to chime in on this one?
4: Sure. Uh, well, no, I I definitely agree that there is a science, uh, you know, when of when you tweet or when you post. And I think uh, there's some excellent uh, content and data out there that uh, that. That analyzes uh, to the nth degree of when you should tweet or when you should post on Facebook. I, I, I do, however, think it, it, we we often undermine um, the art of the conversation, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, whatever you fancy. They're all uh, kind of two way dialogue tools that I, I think the majority of you know the majority of us. Uh, still tend to use them as a one-way you know, broadcast or amplification. Um, so, so again, the power of the conversation, the power of finding that particular individual that's got a particular comment or maybe a particular problem or dilemma, and especially when you're in a sales situation, engaging them with the right advice, again, meaningful help and, and so on, um, is going to be worth a lot more than just uh, you know, blasting uh, stuff out there.
3: No, and by no stretch of the imagination, Chris, what I, what I advocate spamming is just in terms of being able to reach certain people at certain times. And I would agree with you completely that, that if all you're doing is posting links, then you're only, you know, getting a fraction of the utility out of it.
1: Thank you, Chris Padro. Thoughts?
2: Um, yeah. I, well, I you know I use a few utilities that kind of analyze when my audience engages the most, and then will automatically schedule things out, which um, uh, you know for a lot of what I do, I think it's fine. And then it's just a, a matter of um, – because you don't want to – you may have more things that you want to share that aren't time critical that may create a conversation or may just be informational to other people, and you may want to kind of spread those out over the hours that people are going to be receptive to it, which is totally fine. And then on the other hand, you need to kind of monitor what folks are saying. Um, to engage in conversations that other people create, because it can't just be about what I say and everybody has to talk about what I want to talk about. So, you know, I think both of, uh, you know, both of what what these folks are saying is all all correct, all makes sense. And I think, you know, each person kind of has to find the right balance that works for them.
1: Okay. I want to go. Thank you, the three of you. I want to go to a couple more of the do's and don'ts from Casey Ryan's notes because I think everybody wants to hear this and needs to hear this. Casey, I'm looking next at your comment. No matter how heated the situation seems to get or how strong your instinct may be, never lose your temper publicly. Know when to walk away from an online argument. So should the the words of wisdom here, Casey, be never get into an online argument? What's your advice?
3: My advice is to try to accept uh, you know, the feedback that you're getting with a grain of salt. Obviously, if somebody's complaining that there is an issue, but there it boils down to a question of time and place. Nobody wants to get involved in flame wars. Uh, they, they can be scary, they can be expensive, and they usually don't stop until one of you closes the account down. Um, I've seen some ridiculous and laughable situations online that, that could have been avoided by somebody saying, "Okay, fine, thank you. I know what the point is. If you want to, we can take this offline and, you know, take the higher ground, if you will, if you're going to have this discussion, but but uh, not to air too much of it in, in public."
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do a quick definition here, in case anybody is not familiar with exactly what flame war is. Forgive me for this, Casey. An argument between internet users who repeatedly provoke each other with personal attacks through email and other forms of online communication. Do you agree with that?
3: I would agree with that. And uh, like I said, it's very easy to to identify when you're involved in one because no matter what you say, the situation just just keeps escalating. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully, that's not the kind of dinner party we want to go to either in person. Reuben uh, or Chris, anybody want to comment on flaming and, and keeping your temper sure. in check?
4: Sure. So, so something um, this uh, this past Sunday, you know, our, our beloved uh, Toronto Blue Jays are are doing pretty well, and we had. Uh, Uh, an example where uh, a a fan maybe got overly excited and grabbed a ball that was still in play, right? So for a few minutes there, that was the most hated uh, person in Canada. And, of course, you know, the the TV caught him. And uh, and then I quickly went to Twitter just to check the conversation, and uh, it was nasty, right? I mean, you know, I think uh, the the Internet, uh, much like, you know, we uh, get into road rage and think we're invisible when we're behind the wheel of our car. Um, the internet's probably even worse for that, right? Um, so, so I think that's part of the reason. I think uh, the great advice is to you know keep your cool and 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 stay away from these types of situations in general. Um, but also, again, a, a big call to all of us, let's, you know, let's be human, right? People make mistakes. There's all these, you know, Twitter and Internet scandals that break out every day, and, and people just kind of like to, to pour a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more fuel into the flame, um, which it really isn't good for anybody, right? It isn't, it isn't good for the individuals doing it, and, and definitely for the victims of these uh, campaigns or, or, or attacks, right? So let's be mindful. Let's, uh, you know, let's bring out the human goodness,
1: I like that. Goodness is a good word. Chris Boudreaux, any thoughts on this one before I move on?
2: No, I think I think that's fine. I mean, I think it's it's just, you know, don't say anything you wouldn't want on the front of the newspaper and you'll probably be fine.
1: Okay, and that goes back to my question about how closely should a company, an organization, a brand govern or have oversight and keep their finger on the pulse of every social media conversation their sales reps and all of their employees, in fact, are having. Because if somebody's getting into one of these flame wars or getting into one of these dangerous conversations that could go south in more ways than one, wouldn't the company want to have the audit trail of that? Just a thought. Chris, let me ask you that before I move on, as I said.
2: Meaning uh, to what extent should a company want an audit trail of what their salespeople yes. are saying in social media? Yes,
1: yes, in case something well, really, I, really untoward happens.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it, the, first of all, it depends on the industry. So financial services companies and pharmaceutical companies and, and others are sometimes required to capture and archive things by law. You know, outside of that, I think the question is maybe more generally speaking, around th- pe- things that people might say about the brand that don't have any regulatory requirements surrounding those. I think you know, a, a, a smart brand is always understanding, what are my customers saying about me? What are my competitors saying about me? What are employees saying about me? And monitoring that is, is just a smart thing to do. Now, what do you do with that data is a completely different thing. Um, because if a lot of employees are unhappy with working there, that would be something you might want to know. If an employee says that, uh, you know, they don't like working for their manager or they don't like working at that company, then there's a significant probability that that's protected free speech and there's nothing you can do about it. So it starts to become an issue of, I think, what are you going to do with the information as much as should you be looking at the data? Uh, and... Um, You know, what rights do you have for usage of that data, uh, as well? And so it starts to become a little bit more complicated than just a cut and dry. Should you or should you not?
1: Okay. Thank you. I'm going to move to some notes here from Ruben Gorscht as we get ready to move into our crystal ball predictions round in about five minutes. Reuven, some interesting and um, some provocative notes here, one from a former panelist on some of our Game Changer shows. But let me, let me just read the notes and you can respond. You say, engagement, as we're talking about, must be meaningful and authentic. You have to show you truly understand and care about your customer. And here's the pop from Ruben Gorscht. He says, your customer does not care about your product. Reuven, you have to explain that one.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, it, it really depends which angle you take. But I know a lot of, uh, a lot of marketers and, and, and a lot of us are just, you know, working for a company or, or, or being responsible for a particular function somehow have this, this notion that whatever we put out there, you know, you're going to get oohs and ahs and lineups like you do at the Apple store every time they launch a product. Mm-hmm. Reality is that's not true right there's uh, we we're we live in an age of abundance where there's just so much noise out there there's so much hitting us from from everywhere from our computers from signs from advertising on, on our mobile phone and so on, and the only, the only way that's kind of left to engage is, is a way to engage with, with meaning, uh, which means something that the customer truly cares about. They want to know that you're solving the problem. They want to know that you're being authentically helpful um, to the problem they're trying to solve or maybe make their life easier, simpler, etc and then of course the the product the, the product or whatever you're selling is really a byproduct of uh, of the entire experience right so you know again we're 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 craving experiences now more than ever um uh, that's what really counts if you think about you know um, brands that are tremendously successful, like, for example, GoPro mm-hmm. is, is all about brand, the experience, the culture, and, and, and so on. It's not necessarily just advertising that it's a, it's a great video camera, right? So, mm-hmm. so that, uh, that's one example, but it's all, it's all about uh, driving, that, uh, driving that experience, being helpful, again, connecting, having that conversation, and then your product will follow.
1: Thank you very much. And by the way, did you see Nick Woodman on um, the founder and CEO of GoPro? Did you see him on Shark Tank last season, Ruben?
2: Yeah, I did. It was great. Yeah,
1: very, very interesting. They have uh, Ashton Kutcher on recently, and I was saying – I didn't know he was a businessman. I'm sure he's very wealthy, but I didn't know he was a businessman. That was interesting. A little out of left field there. So let's go back to some more do's and don'ts from you. Reuven, here's a quote, I promised, from a former Game Changers panelist, from Jill Rowley, who is uh, very high in the ranks of social selling gurus. And she says if you suck offline, meaning in person, you're going to suck even more online. That's a direct quote from one of our radio shows. And Reuben, your comment on that is social doesn't make one person better. It only amplifies your current qualities. You want to give some do's or don'ts to our listeners for that one?
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, again, uh, to, to what I to what I sort of mentioned earlier that whether if it's social selling or social media, that the, the technology and the connection part only augments who you are as a, as a person, right? So, a lot of folks kind of you know misinterpret it as you know I've just inherited a great bullhorn and I'm just going to scream a message. And, and imagine yourself going to a cocktail party, standing in the middle of the room and just screaming, you know, does anybody want to buy X? Right? It just wouldn't be socially acceptable. Um so you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to necessarily you know show those attributes online so you want to go back to the basics back to you know getting uh, getting introduced to people using and leveraging your your current network um, to get those warm introductions. And of course, you know, knowing what your customer prospect really cares about and approach each uh individual as as an individual, as an individual that has, you know, needs, wants, desires, hobbies, likes, dislikes, and so on, um and, and start an engaging conversation that way.
1: Thank you. Chris Boudreaux, you want to weigh in on this?
2: Um well I, I think uh To some extent that's true, but I think that um, people should think about how they can use this new channel to do things that they didn't do before. So uh, you can express yourself, you know, for example, if you want to write a piece that expresses an opinion, you can prepare for it, you can publish it, you can edit it, you can get feedback, you, you can call it an early draft and just set the expectation that this is not your final thought, but you're looking for feedback from people in the community online. Um, you know, you can create an evergreen source that people can always come to and contribute to where it's not all about you. So for example, the the policy, the database of social media policies that I created when I originally published it had about, I think, 60 policies. And now it's over 300 because mm. people from around the world have contributed to that. So it's not just mine. and And I think that's, that's that's the important thing to consider around social channel you sh- you should strive to create some things that come out of you but you shouldn't necessarily strive to own them completely because the power of the network is when people come together and create something together so so think about that a little bit as well
1: very well put. Casey Ryan, I'm going to give you 1 minute on this thread and then we're going to go very quickly to our predictions round. Casey,
3: thoughts? I think it honestly to some extent it's true, but I also think it depends on the the individual. If people are responsible about it and they view it as a learning opportunity, it may be the harsh dose of medicine that they need to to course correct. Uh so to some mm-hmm. extent there is an opportunity for growth there, but uh, I mean, it's like anything else, garbage in, garbage out, right?
1: Yep. The old guy go rule. Thank you very much. Okay. Let's circle back to Chris Boudreau. It's time for predictions. What would be different about this conversation at any point in time in the future? You tell me how far ahead you can see Chris Boudreau. I like 2020 just because it's coming up in five years and we've been talking about it forever as in hindsight is 2020. Well, it's almost here. I guess we're all going to have great hindsight in five years. So Chris Boudreau, what will be different? What do you predict about engaging in the social conversation? Let me give you 60 seconds. Go.
2: Yeah, if we look at the way social marketing evolved over the last five years, I think, you know, salespeople will be getting more, a greater number of higher quality marketing qualified leads through social channels. Uh, I think salespeople will have a lot more support that's just better quality from their sales operations organizations, including training and empowerment and content and, and all those kinds of things. And I think ultimately it will be done. I mean, the forces of nature <laughs> will require it to be done in a way that works well for customers. And, and a lot of people will try things that won't work because customers hate it. And eventually it will work itself out uh, and just be better, I think, for customers, better for sellers, and, and ultimately better for the companies.
3: Thank
1: you. Very well put. Casey Ryan, thoughts on the future? How far ahead are you going to take us with your predictions, Casey? I'll
3: go with 2020, since it's a nice round number. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank uh, you. uh, I I, I view, to a certain extent, we've all circled around this, that, that people buy from people. And I think that larger corporations are starting to understand this now, so um, my own view of it is that the, uh, there's going to be more of a focus around the personality of companies as opposed to you know, policies, and, and they're going to try to put more of a human face on things, so I, I see where that's going.
1: Casey, let me ask you a question. As companies move forward in the social engagement, social selling, social conversation sphere and embrace it, whether they have strict governance or loose governance or any at all, do you think they'll be hiring sales reps based on their online reputation, or is this already happening? Meaning, when somebody applies for a sales job at a a company, big or small, does, does the HR person or the, the head of sales, whoever is in charge, go out and Google this person, look at their presence, see if they suck online, see whether they're in any contentious flaming war, see what their history is in terms of frequency, content, human, humanness, humanness, humanity of their tweets and their posts and how active they are so that they can come in and hit the ground running. Any thoughts on that?
3: I think to a certain extent that if an HR manager is really conscientious, and depending on what the job role is, if it's something that's really important and involves a lot of public-facing responsibility, then absolutely it would make sense to to do that. I'll cite the example, even though I knew that one of my don'ts was not to talk about politics, but there was a couple of examples in the Canadian elections recently where a couple of the people that were running for office were called to task for tweets that they'd issued two or three years ago. And they ultimately Ooh. wound up having to drop out, right? So uh, I, to a certain extent, yes, I think that happens. And, uh, again, depending on what the roles are, you will be seeing more of it.
1: Lesson learned. Social media never goes away. And when you get that email that says, we will erase all your history on social media, I don't think it's going to happen. Save your money. Ruben Gorscht, tell me, predictions? I can give you exactly one minute. How far in the future are you looking? Ruben, go.
3: So let's
4: uh let's go to 2020 for a second and i think everything um uh, sort of becomes seamless today we're sort of looking at some newfangled technology different ways to engage i think it it just becomes uh the norm, right? It's it's just like it's you know when we switched from uh, you know mail to, to email and you know from fax to email and all that sort of stuff, and it's become the norm over the past couple decades or so. It, it's 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 going to switch as well, and uh, and with that, I mean, there's obviously a lot more adjustment in terms of uh, the, the way we interact, we engage, but uh, but I think it just becomes uh, seamless as as part of uh, not only the sales profession but the marketing, and, and I think any other um, role within the organization, whether you're collaborating internally or externally with your customers, partners, stakeholders, and so on.
1: Very interesting. Look before you leap. It sticks. Thank you very much. Chris Boudreaux, Social Media Governance. Always a pleasure. Casey Ryan, so nice to meet you and thanks for sharing your words of wisdom. Reuven Gorscht, wonderful to have you back again and a shout out again to Kirsten Boileau at SAP in Canada who is a sponsor of this series and brings us all these great topics and wonderful panels. So thank you, Kirsten, for bringing us Chris, Casey, and Reuven and to Justin and the Business Channel team. Thanks for getting us and keeping us on the air. I'll be back in one hour with another live edition of Game Changing Women Radio, 12 noon here on the Eastern Coast, East Coast time, and we're going to be talking about a mini coaching session for women who are entrepreneurs in spirit and want to have a good start. This will be a mini coaching session from three people in the know on how to start and succeed in a new business. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Come on, you know the drill. Go out and be a Game Changer today just like Chris and Casey and Reuben and Kirsten. I'll talk to you in another hour on Game Changing Women. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Social Selling with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.